0: Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark.
1: Welcome, Brendan here with Mark, episode 103. Thirty, Mark. One three zero, Friday, April the tenth, two thousand and twenty. And gee, what a strange world we live in, Mark. It's 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 the apocalypse. It's, it's sort of been hinted. It's sort of come, hasn't it? I must admit, one of one of the um, one of the TV shows that I've obviously caught up with the episodes, considering that everybody's on basically home duties at the moment with the lockdown here in Australia as it is worldwide, is something I've been watching for the very first episode and I think it's up to Season 9, mate, the, the walk-in dead uh-huh. um, I, I'm a bit of a fan of The Walking Dead, although it's a bit same old, same old, the last couple of series. And, um, yeah, it just reminds me of what's happening out there. Hopefully not quite as bad as The Walking Dead. Um, although I feel The Walking Dead some days and we're going to talk a bit, little bit about that, aren't we? Um, today, because today's main topic, which we'll jump into fairly shortly is the COVID-19, um, pandemic and um how it relates to the veterinary profession and um those of us who work in the industry and our patients and our families and that mark so um yeah it's um it's I was going to say interesting times it's um challenging times and it's certainly sad times um, for a lot of people especially some of the countries that are very hard hit with the with the infection rate and the and the death rate in the mark and um I think it's high time we uh, got stuck into chatting about how, how vets, us personally, are coping with it and um, how we're structuring our clinics um, around the pandemic. And um, I know there are clinics who are doing, plugging away reasonably well, like our two clinics are. But I think you know, Mark, of some clinics that have certainly been struggling, and so do I. And I think you even know of clinics that have closed. Is that correct? There,
0: there have been some clinics that I'm aware of that have, uh, you know, that have um, said, okay, this is all too much and we're going to pull up stumps. So um, it is having an effect on our profession, that's for sure. Um, so, so, it, and look, I think um, that we've, we've uh, have not had this discussion because it's sort of been a bit of a moving target and we didn't want in the podcast to be saying things that just a few days later might not be true. And that's certainly been, the, you know, for example, some of the, uh, the, the legislative support for business in Australia has been tra- changing on, you know, two- or three-day basis. So it, it, it has, that uncertainty has played a role. and But I do think the time's come for us to talk about how um, it is affecting us in clinical practice and, and what we think might happen over the next few months.
1: Absolutely. And it's just amazing. Well, if we talk about outside clinical practice, what's happening out there when um, when I, I go for a walk once or twice a day, either with the doggies or with my, my wife, Annie, and um, gee, it, I'm sure it's the same around where you are, the amount of people that are actually getting out there and going for walks. And here in Victoria, I know no, it's the same with a a lot of um, places, not just around Australia but around the world, the schools are closed at the moment, and um, I'm seeing whole families going for walks around the block and around um, around the um, or around the outskirts of the local parks and around the streets, and um, perhaps, Mark, um, that's something good that will continue in the future once once all this settles down that people get out there and do a bit more exercise and spend a bit more time with their with their families um out there exercising and bonding a little bit but um are you are you amazed at how many people are out and about doing doing walks and cycling and that sort of thing mark
0: definitely we're on a street that um that leads to a number of um local bushwalks and so we it's Quite surprising, the decrease in vehicular traffic and the increase in foot traffic that we're noticing. Um, And the other thing that's interesting is Kate and I tend to get out and go for those walks since we've gotten out of quarantine. But before we went away on our holiday, we would get out, you know, five thirty, six o'clock in the uh, most beautiful part of the morning. And I thought that we would see huge numbers of people at that hour when we resumed our walks recently, but we were all on our lonesome. And I figured out that uh, people can walk at any time in the day because they're not going to work. And so um, the cumulative total is significantly um, uh, higher than, um, you know, than we expected, um, uh, than we, you know, the the total number of people walking is much higher, uh, but they're not necessarily doing it at 5.30 or 6 in the morning.
1: Yes, and the... Gee, you have to select when you go out and do that compulsory or the necessary shop um, in the supermarket, don't you? Um, because we've we've found that f- from sort of early morning, early-ish morning to, to midday, our, our supermarkets, if, and we're trying not to head down there, obviously, unless we really necessarily do have to to pick up essential supplies. Um, if we go down during that time, it's actually quite busy um, and if you head down to the supermarket sort of in the late afternoon or, or early evening, it's, um, it's good because there's hardly anybody, I was going to say dead, it's probably not a good <laughs> choice of words. Um, it's it's um, much more relaxing in a way because I, I went down um, around about 7pm a um, um, couple of nights ago and I think there was about 10 people in the whole supermarket. It was a little bit eerie um, but it was... Um, quite easy to practice a social distance in their market and they finally geared up um, locally with our supermarkets anyway with with lots of um lots of the disinfectant wipes and we um they have people as you enter if you are going to take a trolley or a basket they they wipe it down for you before they give it to you and um, we just try and take our own own bags etc so um yeah things have certainly changed haven't they but um i think we'll we'll swing it around to what's happening in the vet clinics and um as we mentioned at the start, both of us have our vet clinics open. And, Mark, can you run through, and I know all of um, the veterinary community will have different methods and, and recommendations, just both officially and, and, and what they do um, within their own practices. What's, what's the process, Mark, with with both how your staff are working, um, how, how have you structured that, and walk through a typical Consultation. So, if somebody rings up and says, Hey, my, my dog has a, an injury and I need to bring it down, how, um, what's the process you take with him? How do you do that um, with the current situation?
0: Well, the current way that we're operating is probably best termed, uh, um, you know, it's probably like we've always dreamed veterinary practice would be um, no clients. Um, so, essentially, what happens is that we will get a phone call. Someone has a problem we'll give them appointment time. The receptionist at that time suggests they wait in the car and call us on their mobile phone when they arrive um, and When they do arrive and they call on the mobile phone, the receptionist takes a more extensive history than probably would we would routinely um, and then collects the animal uh, at the door practicing. Um, Uh, Excellent hygiene, so spraying any leads or cage handles um, with uh, F10, um, uh, using their um, uh, gloves where appropriate, um, uh, face mask, making sure they stay that um, couple of metres away from any person. At that phone call when the appointment's made, there are inquiries made about, you know, do you have a cold? Do you have a temperature? Are you in contact with someone who is positive for COVID-19? We're lucky uh, where we are in our um, part of Newcastle that we have no, um, you know, we, the, in Newcastle, uh, in our uh, state, there is a postcode by postcode list of the number of cases. Um, And so we would be aware if there was someone, um, you know, if there was a case in our postcode and there is not. Um, But there are some pretty close postcodes where there are cases. um, And so asking about people's contact with them, um, uh, you know, when we have declined a couple of uh, people, um, asking them to make alternate arrangements Uh, get other people to bring the animal in so that uh, we don't have to deal with someone that's coughing or has a temperature. So when they get there, the the, um, receptionist uh, takes the animal off them, brings the animal to a consult room, a vet goes in, does the physical exam, then phones the client and talks them through a bit more of the history, formulates a plan, um, provides any estimates over the phone if the animal is to be hospitalised or um, extensive treatments. Uh, prepares the medications and then um, either the vet or the receptionists return the animal with the medication to the client at the door. So at this stage, we're not having um, routinely any clients come into the hospital. Um, so that's uh, certainly made the staff feel um, much better. When we first started doing this, we lowered everyone's hours um, so that uh, because we expected there would be a decrease in foot traffic. Um, But it's been a bit a little bit of a surprise. Despite a few days where um, things eased up a little bit, we're really sort of trading at um, relatively normal levels. And so so we are looking at uh, what staffing levels we need to maintain. The difficult thing we feel on a sort of welfare, uh, occupational health and safety, mental wellness, um, is trying to predict what levels of staffing are going to, um, you know, provide adequate care for the animals but not um, mean that the business is paying more in wages than it's taking in in, in, uh, in veterinary fees. So it's a very uncertain time and I don't know where we're going to end up in... Um, in you know, four weeks, eight weeks, twelve weeks time, Brendan.
1: Yes, and I think all we can really do is just reevaluate, if not weekly, um, potentially even bi weekly or daily, um, with 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 how that's trending. And we've had a similar sort of process. I mean the consultations and the way we do them are, are fairly similar. They're probably the only difference is because we're a, a much smaller clinic than, than yours, we do ask the clients to to wait outside or, or to wave to us if they get to the door. And we do have a sign on the door saying stop, um, call us or, or, attract the attention of the, the staff before we come in. Um, and we do allow one, one person with, with a pet or if they bring in two pets, for instance, a couple of rabbits or something, um, into the waiting room at any one time. Um, and, and that's the maximum. And, and the, the rest of the process is very similar to what, what you've, You've um, described for your practice, Emma. So, the nurse will get the detail of the history. Um, if the cl- if it's a new client, um, we have new client history forms, and we strongly encourage them to to email them to us so we can go through that um, beforehand. And we really push for that even more so now with what's happening. Um, and the other reason why we like to do that, then they're not handing over, you know, a a, a, a paper history form that they filled in and coughed all over (laughs) that we have to look at um and then uh, um the consult room door will be closed um the animal taken in there and then the door closed and the vet will examine the animal plus or minus with with a nurse depending on what what species we're dealing with um typically when i'm doing the consultations i'll then uh, um, um, start writing up the history on on the computer and um mention that the summary to the nurse on duty and then they will go out the front waiting for the for the invoice to, to be generated and I'll go through the basics of what I've um, mentioned to them about the, the the diagnosis and the potential treatment or workup on the case um, and um, if if that's a fairly standard um, you know simple process then then I'd May not even chat to the client directly. I'll at least poke my head out or open the door of the consult room and wave to them um, in the waiting room. Um, but more often than not, I'll, I'll stand in the door of the waiting room and have a chat to them as well um, and go over the details in in, in a little bit more um, detail um, <laughs> than than what the client, other uh, than what the um, nurse had said. Yeah, so that's sort of the process. And it's working quite well. Although I must admit that well, it's like everything—you just have some people that have no. a little bit off track but it's relevant our our previous next door neighbor here um who did own our house and she she built the house next door and moved into that she's in a retirement home now um fran her name is um she she had no no um concept of personal space so whenever she'd talk to you she's one of those people would be like you know Two centimeters from your from your nose when they're chatting to you They'd be right in your face and that's just how how she was um, it just reminded me I've had a couple of clients this week um, that that did similar that when when they were sitting we get them to sit on the waiting room seat and 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 stay sat down um but as soon as you poke your head out they're they're up and and walking towards you and, and trying to be um right in your face and they just don't realize so um i must admit i yelled at one client <laughs> during the week and i said no back off um and and, and sit down but they they all understand and um, it's remarkable isn't it mark and i'm sure you've you've got the same that that um, the clients that are ringing up, and um, they they already have a bit of an idea that um, obviously that things are, are not normal, and um, they're very understandable about the whole process, and, and they're more often than not extremely grateful um, that that we can stay open and that we can provide the services we do. Um, um, I mean, the only the only other thing I'm 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 a little bit concerned about, and 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 try and be careful about is. Um, Washing my hands so many times a day and changing my um, scrub top that I wear during the consultations because the possibility of those those um, patients being a fomite for carrying carrying the disease if 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 there was. A positive there, um, and and the owners cuddling their animal that um, they could potentially carry in it. So um, I'm pretty strict about. Um, once I've handled each particular patient, I'm I'd be interested to see whether you're the same. Um, I I not only wash my hands thoroughly. I'm trying to make sure I'm not touching my glasses or my. Nose or my mouth or whatever, and um, um, yeah, I lose count of how many times I wash my hands during the day, and or and or change the scrub top several times
0: as well. And I think um, I would first of all echo that um, that you know our our clients have just been um, outstandingly tolerant and understanding. And um, while you definitely see those uh, people losing losing their cool in certain circumstances. Um, I think that makes excellent clickbait and so you'll see it on social media, but the vast majority of the public are being exceedingly understanding and, and like you said, Brendan, they're just glad that we're open to help them. Um, I do think that um, uh, that uh, I'm interested in your comments about uh, fomites because I, I have had a few clients talk to me about um, their cats and ferrets uh, which um, particularly the cats, because there 's been that stuff in the news about um, the cats in Belgium who were experimentally infected, and the big cats in Brooklyn, the tiger um, that 's right was infected, um, but um, I think um, you know we 've been able to reassure people that uh, those are exceptional circumstances and and we fully expected uh, that um, that uh, cats would be susceptible to the coronavirus um, uh, that, co- that causes COVID nineteen. Um, they were susceptible to the SARS virus, and so it's not a big surprise that um, that they're susceptible to this one, to infection from this one. There still is no known case where it's been transmitted from an infected cat to a person, so that's you know lit far less of a worry than. The routine things about um, washing hands and maintaining appropriate uh, protection and social distance, but it's also um, it's also the uh, the ferrets, um, and it's I wanted to uh, have a shout out to our uh, a professional association, the Australian Veterinary Association here in Australia, who have an excellent um, COVID information hub, and one of their topics they've recently released recommendations on is ferrets because similar to cats they are animals that are known to uh, to get infected and so asking clients whether those animals have been in touch with people in contact with people who could be infected is an important question for our receptionists to ask Brennan.
1: Yes and that um thanks for reminding me with that i will link put a link within our show notes at vickers.com um to that ava.com.au website um and the the um coronavirus um page there that which has a covid-19 info hub i think they call it um so it's a great little site there so yeah i think the key there is um it's it's what you said at the start of this episode um um Trying to make sure that um you're quizzing the clients about is is anybody unwell well don't come into the clinic um um with the animal um and we really stress and and gee it's tricky i i, I haven't had any since the um any dogs or cats mark since the um since the lockdown as far as euthanasias um but it's heartbreaking i think with these animals that you know there might be um long term geriatric arthritic um, dogs that you may have been seeing for 20 years and and the dogs um end, ended up need, needing euthanasia in the last few, few days or weeks and the and the client um will be unable to be there when the euthanasia occurs so have you had any like that
0: mate We have had um uh, a a couple of euthanasias and people themselves have elected not to come in we have had one person with a a, an 18 year old cat who asked for us to make arrangements for them to come in Um, and um, and really that's pretty much the only client who has come in and we were able to put a catheter in that cat stand at a distance let the person cuddle them while we administered the euthanasia so um it is it is really difficult and i to be honest one of the things that was really distressing for me about that case was you know i was pleased that we could provide the client with the opportunity to be there as 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 it happened um and that was an important thing for them but um you know i'm not a particularly touchy feely sort of person but we would regularly um you know Make some sort of phys- human physical contact—a hug, or touch an elbow, or something like that—and um, of course, um, it seems a little bit distant and shallow when you um, all you can do is bow your head and, and wish people the best.
1: Yes, it's. Um, I mean, we've certainly had un- unusual pets that we've had to euthanise d- during this period, and um, um, you know, I. Th- the- Thank goodness the clients have been very understanding about things and they realise that they can't be there at the time. But I I think it would be particularly difficult for a client especially some of these long-term clients and you and I have both had um, long-term clients where they've probably gone through several um, dogs or cats or or, or unusual pets and they become friends of the practice and friends personally and um, having to put down one of them during this time would be very distressing I think for for all. Um, What are you doing as far as Mark are you doing any um, two two other things I think we should chat about Uh, are you providing any kind of service as far as home visits at all. Um, as a general rule, we don't do home home visits anyway in our practice and we do have an excellent home visit veterinarian and we even have a in Melbourne here a home euthanasia vet or there's a couple of them that um, are excellent at doing home, home euthanasias um, and we tend to um, send our clients to those unless they're very, very good clients. Um, we may do the um, euthanasia of a, of a home visit euthanasia for a, for one of those long-term clients. Um, do you do any of these home visits? Can you hear me? Oops, I've lost. Uh, I can, Mark. Yeah, uh, I, I can. My phone's
0: yep. dropped out and, uh, and so I'm back on to the...
1: I can hear you fine, Mark. You yep, that's okay. <laughs> this is like the old days. Can I hear you, Mark? Can um, I hear you?
0: Yes. Uh, you were talking about, as I was madly trying to make the microphone work, you were talking about, euthanasias and
1: home visits. Do you do any home visits at the moment or not? What do you say if somebody needs a home visit or they can't get to the clinic with with an injured or distressed or very ill animal? we definitely
0: are doing home visits. Um, Not very many of them, fortunately. I think people are happy to not have you visit their home at the moment, Um, but we uh, definitely are taking the time to visit and... um, um and it's and people are practicing suitable distancing and uh personal, you know, that whole spacing thing. They're um they it's not been a big problem to to do that stuff. And uh so pleasingly people are staying away, they're tying the dog up on the fence at some point and staying often much more than the required one point five meters. Um, uh we generally wear a mask when we go and do that and have the gloves and and practice uh, appropriate hygiene washing hands and whatnot. Um, but it hasn't been a, it hasn't been a big part of the business but it's been an opportunity to connect with um, some of those clients who uh, who aren't as mobile and um, and really they probably depend on those services um, you know fairly significantly so it's been good to provide them
1: yes which leads me into the second comment um or the second or which is the last topic but there mark and um yeah you're having a bit of trouble with that microphone i can hear lots of banging and clanking and <laughs> <laughs> noise there um and that's telemedicine and uh i haven't done any telemedicine um consultations during this period although we just upgraded the software um to allow a particular telemedicine package there, Mark, and I think it's a little bit problematic, um, especially dealing with unusual pets um, trying to do a consultation from afar, um, especially if it's an animal we haven't seen before. Um, I think it would be much easier if, if we're having long-term patients that we have that that um, um, veterinarian patient um, um, bond or whatever you, you call it, Mark, um, that we just would be seeing it for a revisit that we could potentially do that via a telemedicine consultation. Have you started doing well, telemedicine? The good thing
0: for us is that um, we have uh, sort of been doing those uh, types of things in an introductory fashion. We've restricted them to cases where um, where we either have an existing vet- veterinarian client-patient relationship or to those circumstances where uh, there's no proximate Um, You know, there's no service locally which could provide those things. Um, We do take advantage, uh, particularly where medication has to be dispensed. I think that's probably um, where we will come unstuck, where veterinary uh, veterinarians will come unstuck, um, at least here in New South Wales. Um, that part of the process is very tightly controlled by the Department of Health, the Human Department of Health. They run the Pharmaceutical Services Act and they are very strict about the circumstances in which drugs um, should be dispensed. rightly so, completely endorse their uh, I completely endorse their actions, um, but that would be the one telemedicine circumstance that they would you would really have to be able to defend. Um, uh, if a complaint was made against you. And I, I think one of the things I would say, Brendan, is um, that most of the veterinary registration boards around Australia and around the world now have um, at least preliminary uh, telemedicine or um, electronic communication consultation guidelines. I know they do in New South Wales, and that might be another link we can add to our um, our podcast webpage. Um, and I think it's it behooves all of us who propose to do these uh, tele telemedicine consults um, to have a look at the, the recommendations from our local board and make sure that we satisfy those. Um, I do think um, that a very strong argument. If you can mount an argument that um, your actions uh, are, an, a, a sound argument that your actions are benefiting the welfare of animals, I think most veterinary boards will hold that argument in high esteem.
1: The, the, sorry, sorry Mark, I had myself on mute there I was starting to talk, um, so I'm doing my usual. Yeah, the veterinary board here in Victoria does do very similar here and I have put a link to that in our show notes there, Mark, and I'll actually quote from the Veterinary Board of Victoria um, um, COVID-19 pandemic um, remote consultations. um, little page there, and uh, the quote is The board recognises that during this state of emergency, a veterinary consultation may be required for animals who are unable to be physically examined, unable to access a regular veterinary practitioner service, or as yet to come under the care of any practitioner. In these circumstances, or, or instances actually, um, practitioners may seek to establish a bona fide client relationship via remote consultation if a primary in-person consultation cannot occur because of government social distancing or quarantine requirements. And the board also considers that a formal written referral of a case to another registered veterinary practitioner, general or specialist, establishes a client-vet relationship for the secondary practitioner. And they have a little flowchart as well, Mark. I don't know whether you've got done the same um, in New South Wales, but they've got a telemedicine decision-making diagram to help um, assist veterinary practitioners with the process of ensuring that they're, they're undertaking that the, the correct process there to try and establish a, a current uh, um, relationship with the, with the practitioner and the client. I think the, the
0: thing from my point of view, being involved in the New South Wales Board and the um, ABBC is that um, I think most boards are, are maybe not uh, in the final position of having a definitive telemedicine policy that's locked in, but they're very well advanced at um, dealing with uh, the aspects of it and particularly I think they've taken the effects of um, the pandemic um, and the altered circumstances of social distancing and quarantine and isolation and, um, and factored those in so that animal welfare is not compromised. I think I, I, once again I celebrate the, the common sense that's applied to um, uh, to these rules, and uh, I encourage everyone to take that little bit of time to just look at their local board because there will be variations between regulatory jurisdictions. Um, just have a look at your own board site, and uh, and I think they all have those very useful documents.
1: Yes, um, I encourage all practitioners and and veterinary nurses slash. Um, Support staff to do that, Mark. Um, and uh, a little bit distracted there because, um, doing a bit of research for this particular episode. Um, it's amazing some of the crazy things that come out there. And I'm going to post a link to this. I don't know whether you've seen this, Mark. There's a, there's a Kickstarter program or, or a product, um, that somebody's, um, promoting, which is called the Hygiene Hand Antimicrobial Brass EDC Door Opener and Stylus. So what it is? It's a bit of metal, Mark, um, that you use to touch the lift button um, or open a door. It's got a little hook on the end, um, and it has has a little um, retractable cord on it. Um, it's quite quite silly, but um, it's an actual um, um, Kickstarter um, project that their goal was around about eight thousand dollars Australia and. I uh, don't know whether it's a made in the it's a USA product, and they're already up to four hundred eighty five thousand um, dollars pledged. Um, so it's a, a hand hygiene product, and gee, I wish I'd a thought of this, Mark. Um, it's just a, a, a piece of brass um, shaped in a little key or a little hook that you can use to, tri- and you can use it to open door handles as well, um, without touching the doors. Um, so you know, in these times of need, there's people who do all sorts of things, won't they? Um, and um, looks like they've made a bit of money with this thing and perhaps perhaps it's a, a useful product I'm not sure um so I'm going to put a link to this one as well but there's some um interesting times ahead still mark I think it's still going to take several weeks before we um if not months before things settle down and as you mentioned to me off air a couple of episodes today um I think you mentioned that um some things will have changed forever what 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 did what did you mean by that Oh, I've lost you, Mark. <laughs> I think you've completely gone off um, with your with your um with your microphone so you've lost. Space. So I think with that, I'm going to start the outro and um, hopefully Mark's not caught something you shouldn't have, and we will talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening.